Hello and welcome to Equipped. We are a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Norman. It's designed as another resource to help you engage our culture and evangelize the world. I'm here with Ryan Polk. Hello, Ryan. Hey. And I'm Curtis Winkle, youth pastor here at Trinity. So, Ryan, consumerism in the church is our subject today. So, we know that uh, in culture and outside the walls, we, we exchange goods for resources. And so... Um, Inside the church, so we're we're more of a, a covenant. So what what does what does it look like when we bring a consumer mentality into the church? Why is that a bad thing? Yeah, I think uh, you know you hit on it. Like culture, we're kind of uh, being discipled by culture in that area. So you know we we choose our department store or our grocery store or any other places where we would buy goods based on the best deals. Do they serve me well? Do I get everything I'm looking for or all my needs met. And then when it's time to kind of look at the church and our relationship to it, that's the attitude and mindset that we bring. And so, um, and I think what this does to us to some degree is it leads us to approach church and ask like the wrong questions a lot of times. So like what's, what's one of those questions? Well, the first one, kind of the biggest one is like, how are they going to, you know, what, what is this going to do for me? And so, um, can that be a good question? Yeah, it can be a good question. It's just probably, um, there's probably kind of a hierarchy or an order of good questions to ask. Mm -hmm. And so it's probably not a good first question. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the questions that come ahead of it will also help us understand what would be good for us rather than if we start there. Okay. So like, is this church preaching the gospel? Yeah. Yeah. It's usually like in a, in a consumer mindset, I think that's not usually kind of one of the top questions that are being asked. It's, you know, we start to kind of look at peripheral type deals. So I'm just gonna give some examples, yeah. but, uh, you know, the preaching is probably not prioritized, meaning we're not worried about learning or the depth or, understanding God's word better. We probably just want help with the problems in our life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've heard that referred to as kind of felt needs. Right. Um, we want to feel better, you know, when we leave there and not that you shouldn't want to be encouraged by the scriptures, but the scriptures do a lot of things and encouragement's one of them. Um, we start putting priorities on things that maybe aren't even necessarily, they're not wrong, but they're not biblically mandated. So, you know, how clean or dynamic is the kids area? You know, what do they have to offer for my kids? Uh, we become more, we treat it almost like a buffet even, like I'll take this and this and this. Uh, what would just, we'll, we'll take the things I like. And to be honest, churches have kind of fed that a little bit. Sure. Uh, you know, we want people to be here and that's the good part of the motive. Right. But the bad part has been, we kind of offer and promote things in a sense that feeds the the consumer mentality okay all right so so help us kind of think through and and break out of this what's what are some remedies maybe if if this is how we're being discipled outside the church how do we how do we change our mindset within the within the body yeah i just finished reading this uh, great little book by christopher ash and uh, i don't really like the title of it because i think it makes it uh, a little inaccessible but the title is called the book your pastor wishes you would read 
but is too embarrassed to ask. And so the reason why it's really a helpful book is it's going to offer some some virtues on what I would have titled it as something like getting the most out of church membership or meaningful church membership. Okay. Um, and so I think there's some good things in those virtues that, that Ash offers that helps us kind of remember what are some things that are that, that we can bring to the table. All right. So you want to walk through these seven virtues then? Yeah. Yeah. I think they're really helpful. And, and Ash is kind of approaching it from uh, two different vantage points, I think. One is – and by the way, it's a short little book. It's a little read, uh, really manageable, and would really be an encouragement, I think, for all church members. Yeah, hundred pages. Yeah, and so, uh, so our first one here is is daily repentance. Yeah, and eager faith. So like, yeah. So when I was saying Ash approaches it from two different things, he's saying one way is that pastors would love for all their people to be engaged in these. So it these would really help membership. Okay. And they're part in the church. The other one is, if we're doing these things, um, we also minister well to those who minister to us. And uh, the verse he quotes, I think it's really good. Just let me read it real quick. Is Hebrews thirteen seventeen, where it says, "Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account." So it's this relationship of we're following the leader. They have spiritual responsibility. They'll give an account. But then the rest of the verse says, and let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Mm. So the better we follow and yeah. know what we should do, yeah. the better they do their job, which then comes back and ministers to us the best, which is really what everyone desires to begin with. Sure. And so God's really ordered it that way, that when we follow his structure, leaders lead, the church members follow then the leaders can do it with joy, and that benefits the entire church. And so he gives these seven virtues, and I think, what did you say, the first yes. one? Daily the first repentance. One daily repentance and eager faith. Yeah, and so the idea behind that is just the recognition of kind of keeping our keeping the account short so you know that we don't let sin fester uh, in our life. And you know, we've all struggled with that. You know, we don't want to deal with it. We become complacent. We become numb to it. Uh, but that doesn't just affect us. That'll affect our families. That'll affect our church family. And and it's interesting that he put those two together. Uh, yeah. Lack of repentance will almost never coexist with an eager faith, eager to serve, eager to, to share, yeah. eager to do to fulfill what God may have called us to do. So keeping that account short, repenting, being sensitive towards our own sin, um, what that does is it lets the direction of the body move towards advancing the kingdom rather than having to deal with with the consequences of sin even. Yeah, let's dig in there for just a second. So why do you, why do you think repentance is hard? We're, we're supposed to be a people who repent, right? That's, yeah. that's what, fundamental to, to Christianity. Why do you think we we sit on sin so often. Yeah. I mean, our pastor at Trinity, Ronnie Rogers, has this great phrase that he's used for years in, in his preaching about repentance is really our friend. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, we tend to not do it because I think it's hard. Uh, it's hard for us to acknowledge uh, that 
there's areas where we're we're struggling. Um, it's kind of that uh, see no evil, hear no evil mindset. You know, mm-hmm. if we don't verbalize it, maybe it's not really there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think probably deeper down to it, though, uh, repentance and brokenness tend to go hand in hand. So probably if we just nail it down to the to its core, the biggest struggle in repentance is we don't want to. Yeah. You know, we we like we like it. So so it's important to do. It's also important to to cultivate those relationships where we can yeah, verbalize those right. things, right? Trusted accountability some right. of those things. Yeah, I mean re- repentance is is always going to be foreign to a life that thinks it's getting away with it mm. or people that don't have relationships where other people know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like anything else. The more we do anything, the more numb we become to kind of the, 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 the vileness, the badness of all that. It just becomes normal in the darkness. Yeah. 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 And, and, and so on the other side of that, like he says, is, is this eager faith, which I, I, lo- I love that picture. So we turn from, and we turn towards, towards, right. There's no neutrality in this. Yeah. And, uh, so an eager faith, is is you know you just think about throughout the scripture some of the descriptions you know as the deer pants for the water so my soul longs for you you know that's not passive you know there's um job talked about finding god's word and he devoured them you know jeremiah talked about the god's word being like a burning in his in his in his body those are a lot more eager type words um and it's then just looking to see how God's going to use that in our life. Yeah. Okay, number two, committed belonging. Yeah. Committed belonging. What is that about? It's it's the relationship uh, that you know we talk about doing life together. And so this is what we always want to see people do is that they understand that they are a part of a family. They're part of a body. And uh, so this would kind of, you know, consumerism, when we talked about that earlier, another one of the marks of it is is instead of Christianity kind of being the hub of life and the church being kind of a picture of that, consumerism, you know, says, well, when I have time, I'll, I'll do that, if, you know, it, mm-hmm. and it kind of fits around that. Mm-hmm. And so this committed belonging is the idea of like, no, I've made a covenant. I've made a commitment with these people. We are going to do life together. I am committed to the church. I'm going to be a part of this. They can count on me. Uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What are What are some uh, hindrances to that modern culture? Uh, I mean, time. Yeah. I mean, it's a big one. I mean, people love their weekends. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, whether it's going to the lake, whether it's sports, whether it's just sleeping in, whatever it is, uh, if there's no commitment, uh, you know, church is kind of a you know, it is kind of a strange phenomenon. I mean, we're going to wake up early on a Sunday morning and go hang out with a bunch of people, someone we don't know very well. We're going to stand up. We're going to sing together. We're going to hear a, a lecture, yeah. you know, from the scripture, um, those types of things. I mean, it, you know, that's not necessarily like, doesn't make sense to a lot of people. Yeah, the you know? spirit draws us out into yeah, those that's right. things, but, that's right. but naturally... I want to sleep in right. or left ourselves. Those aren't things that we would, yeah, we would I'd, choose. I'd be on the golf course. Right. Morning. Right. Yep. Okay. And then I also think, you know, like just again, if we bring a consumer mindset to it is we start asking ourselves like, what's the benefit for me? Right. 
without asking ourselves like, okay, when I drive there and I get out of my car and I walk in the building, what do I have to offer? What do I get to give? What, how do I get to participate yeah. in these things with I other people? Today? Right. Right. Who can I have one, one good conversation with? It's a lot of times we talk about that in our car, um, on the way home. Okay. Uh, number three is open honesty. Yeah. I mean, and so this gets back to the relationship part of it. Uh, it's where confession would take place. You know, uh, Tim Keller has one of the greatest illustrations on the church where he says, you know, like it's treated by most people as like a job interview. So we show up in our best, we put our best foot forward and people ask us how we're doing. It's fine. Great. You know, all these things. And he said, the real picture is more like a hospital emergency room, Mm. you know, to where we've all got ailments. We've all got things going on in our lives that, that aren't, you know, ideal or, Mm. or that we're struggling with. And the church ought to be the one place where we have the freedom to come and say, yeah, I don't have everything together. I don't know everything. I don't, I don't have life figured out. And, uh, know that people are going to pray for us and walk through that with us and help us and those types of things. So this is hard. I think in every church to some degree is developing this, this culture where people are honest though, like they're willing to admit weakness, struggle, um, that they need help, that they're needy, uh, those types of things. Often that's harder than, than offering help, right? Yeah. Yeah. I need help. Yeah. Telling people I need help is not a part of, the 21st century individualistic American uh, kind of just pathos there. I mean, it's just not there. Yeah. All right, number four. Watchfulness. Thoughtful watchfulness. Uh, I misspoke. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's kind of built into this idea of just keeping a, a watch on our lives and each other uh, so that we, we realize that we're in this together. What you don't watch uh, tends to drift, you know, yeah. if we don't monitor things, if we don't keep, you know, so, you know, church attendance, church, you know, those types of things, you keep, know, keeping watch on our lives, even, even as far as like, you know, we might even, you know, our, our culture might uh, deal with like this under the category of like accountability. And, and what Ash mentions in the book a little bit too, is this idea of, that we're also partnering with our pastors to help watch with them, you know, so that we study well, that we're reading on our own, that we're learning so that they, it helps hold them accountable, uh, also. And so, uh, anyway, so I think you're just, just having that mindset is, is really, uh, what he's talking about there. Right. Number five, loving kindness. Yeah. It's just the idea that, uh, that love is going to be the mark of the church. And I actually read a quote on this uh, the other day that was phenomenal from Francis Schaeffer. And Schaeffer quotes like John 13, 34 and 35, where Jesus is telling the disciples, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. And Schaeffer's take on that was the best that I've ever heard. And what he said was, he said that God's brought this group together and they have this mission to go out and share the gospel and advance the kingdom. But as they're doing that, while he's given the church the authority with the Great Commission, with the John 13 passage, he gave the world the authority to judge the church based on this. Huh. And so the idea is like, if my people are not loving one another, 
you have every right to judge them and say that whatever they say they believe, they don't really believe. Wow. And I was like, that's it. That That's such an incredible passage there because the promise goes with it, though, that if we truly do love one another, the world will take notice. They may not take notice of all our positions or what we affirm or right. you know, all of these things that, that, we, that are important and we need to be about, but God's promise that if we will truly love one another, they will notice that, yeah. that there's something different because of that. And so he just talks about what it looks like to love one another. Uh, loving our leaders, loving each other, loving new people. Um, that, that bites, that one stings, right? And you've talked about this before, like, yeah, we can affirm we love everybody or I love the church, but then we go down the hall and we're like, oh, wait a second, that guy? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's not very, it's not a particular Christian idea to love people that you like. Right. I mean, lost people, people who have no new birth or changed by the gospel really do like the people that they like and right. can love a spouse and those types of things. So the mark on this is that it's that our love is impartial, basically, that it represents and follows the example that God set uh, for us. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's there's not a single easy thing about it. Yeah. So we work to love the babies in the nursery and the, the older saints down the hall. Right? Absolutely. And, and the ones who are our friends and the ones who we disagree with and you know politics and 180 degrees from us. yeah that's yeah. right that's right yeah and that's that's a mark of christianity that will make the world yeah yeah it, it's notice. got like an evangelistic promise almost yeah yeah that's great number six high expectations it's an interesting one yeah so um you know again this is built around this this two principles you know that here are some things that would help us be good church members. And this is also something that would help us. You know, we know these guys that work at church are paid to help us, but what does it look like to help them as they do their job? And so one of them is that we, we hold high expectations as far as what it takes to be a member of a church. And that's, that's kind of the opposite of consumerism. You know, the consumer mentality says, I want really low expectations. Yeah. Uh, and the only expectations I really want placed on me is maybe to give a little or you know something like this in, in exchange for something. Mm -hmm. So, but that's not really what we see in the New Testament. That's yeah. not really what we see in really successful biblically grounded churches. That the mandate given to pastors and teachers is to equip the saints for works of service, mm -hmm. and then that we raise that standard about what that looks like. And our leaders hold us to that. And it's a mutual deal where the church is also holding those leaders accountable for teaching the word and for preaching the word and for being gospel driven and centered and those types of things. Yeah. So um, this is kind of, to me, what slices through a lot of the consumer mentality. Once a church sets high expectations for its leaders and its members, generally that's not going to draw the consumer crowd. Mm. Yeah. So, so, so trying to get away from that consumer mindset that we, we've used the term spectator Christianity. Before. Right, like, right. There, there should be no such thing, right? We don't come to be entertained while the gospel does feed us and, and our leaders can do that. Um, we're right. We're not there to kick back and relax and enjoy a show. Yeah, and I think that that's what happens in the week-by-week week preaching of the scripture. You're going to get a little bit of all of that. Mm -hmm. Like it's always feeding us. It's always ministering to us. Um, 
sometimes we are going to be flat out entertained. Mm-hmm. We're learning something new. We're learning something we've never heard before. Mm-hmm. We're seeing a text explained in a way that's like, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in other times, the Spirit just comes in and convicts us of a sin as we're sitting there hearing it, and that's not a lot of fun. Yeah. Sometimes we're encouraged, and sometimes we are moved to to be broken and, and those types of things. So you're going to get all of that through the course of God's Word, mm-hmm. uh, and that's important. And so that we know how to respond to each one of those as part of these expectations, really. All right, so number seven, finally, zealous submission. Yeah, this is the part that uh, is probably the most difficult. So again, he Ash is drawing in this book from that Hebrews 13 verse that we read earlier where it says to obey your leaders and submit to them. And he does a good job, as any good Bible teacher would, of saying this isn't like unqualified. There are limits to this. Right. Um, But it usually doesn't have to do with what normally causes problems and splits and different things like that in churches. The posture of a church member, if they understand the Bible and they're walking in faith and trusting Christ – is that God gave these people, these men, to lead. They're not perfect. Uh, They have struggles and weaknesses, but that's who God has chosen, just like he worked and orchestrated and chose and led that church member to be a doctor or a banker or a teacher or any of these things. And so, and, and God's word orders God's world And so this is how he set it up is that he would give leaders to the church and that the church should follow. And if they do that, they will be blessed as well. And so built in this is kind of an inherent trust. You know, we don't submit to a pastor or group of pastors or elders because there's something great about them. It's because of the one who called them. That's that's where the submission comes to. Yeah. So in following them, we're following Christ in that sense. They're going to be held accountable if they mess up or if they do something that, that ends up not being right. They'll be held accountable. Yeah. I think there are times where this isn't absolute, obviously, if they're leading in immorality or if they're leading um, in false heretical teaching, those types of things. But – just because we didn't like a message that they preach or we didn't think a church we as a church we should have done this particular program or things that we really like you know we didn't sing the right songs this week that the ones that we like those aren't reasons to then begin a a rebellion so to speak right yeah i think it's so important scripturally speaking to to value and respect the the work that pastors put in and the just the 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 huge call that God has on them where in Hebrews like we said they keep watch over you as those who must give account James 3 talks about uh, not many of you should be teachers because they will be judged more strictly right that, that is a heavy um, a heavy thing to carry and so and so zealous submission is is the appropriate posture for for a, a church member who knows he's accepted this call and is under great, we talked about earlier today, under great spiritual, um, uh, it's a great spiritual target for Satan yeah. um, in a lot of ways. And so how can we default to, how can we serve, how can we bring them joy, as it talks about in Hebrews, so yeah. that they're not under burden, unnecessary extra burdens right. than what they already are. Yeah, and I think like uh, 
one one place where this gets messed up sometimes I think is that it just goes back to not knowing the word like we should. And so we need to be intimately familiar with the passages in First Peter five, Titus two, or excuse me, Titus one, First uh, Timothy, uh, where it's really laying out the job description, qualifications, etc., for a pastor. Mm-hmm. By not knowing the scripture, our default becomes what we know oftentimes in the business world, right. what we're looking for in a pastor, what we think they ought to do, yeah, or even like, yes, pastors are the leaders of the church. But at an even more fundamental level, they are members of the church just like we are. And so the fact, you know, about praying for – I mean, just think about what you would do in your small group for one another. One right. Yeah. And so they aren't exempt from those. They're not exempt from participating in those on their end, mm-hmm. loving, praying, enduring with, and all of those. Yeah. But we're not exempt from doing those with and for them either. And so when we see them as part of the body rather than kind of over the body but not in it, it really does change everything. Yeah. So um, so just really emphasizing the one another's towards leadership will really minister to them as well, just like it would any other church member. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, uh, Ryan. Appreciate your time today. And we hope this has been an encouragement and a blessing to you. Again, that book is uh, the book your pastor wishes you would read. So... Pick it up and uh, and be blessed.